Hello, I am Grayson Brulte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. The world evolves in the blink of an eye, so stay ahead of the curve in between episodes with SAE Smart Brief, offering the latest industry news, updates, and articles on leading-edge technology and aerospace mobility and beyond. Smart Brief delivers to your inbox the future. On today's episode, I sat down with Keith Moravik, co-founder, CTO, and vice president of engineering and product at SwiftMile to discuss how SwiftMile is building infrastructure to make light electric vehicles accessible, the evolution of SwiftMile's business model to meet the needs of the cities, companies, and individuals in society, and the creative new LEVs seen on the streets today. And away we go. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Keith. Thanks for having me, Grayson. Nice to be here today. You're welcome. I really love Swift Mile. I think what you guys are doing is incredible and you're solving a problem. But before we get to that, I want to talk about earlier in your career because you started your career in the laser industry, then worked with the military. What was that journey like? Yeah, so I've done a lot of things, a lot of jobs uh, over the years, you know, from firefighting to uh, uh, ski patrol working um, in the aerospace industry and then later in the medical diagnostics industry and now EV charging. Ski patrol is cool. Where were you uh, doing ski patrol? I ski patrolled at Squaw Valley up in the Sierras in California. Wow. Yeah, that was a great, uh, that was a great time. And were you a firefighter prior to doing a ski patrol? I did some seasonal forest firefighting. I think it's a rite of passage here in California these days, but um, right out of high school, took a job as a forest firefighter and worked before going off to university. Wow. And during this, the time as a forest firefighter, were you learning all like the, the emergency stuff around how to take care of a burn and if some incident happens? So when you go to ski patrol, you're well extremely prepared for situations that could happen out there? Well, so I didn't do so much of the first aid training and stuff like that. We actually had to take some courses in fire science learning how to, uh, the different methods for attacking forest fires, direct, indirect, and and just learning kind of about the apparatus that's in place to, to fight forest fires. With Ski Patrol, we actually do a lot of first aid and, and uh, medical training. You know, it's a constant process of uh, updating and practicing scenarios and making sure you don't panic in the real situation when it occurs. So you have to get very comfortable and very familiar with all of those scenarios. This is awesome. You have this incredible background of different disciplines, and you also have the incredible ability to maintain and foster relationships. Your co-founder, Colin Roche, you guys went to elementary school together, then later college, and lo and behold, you co-found Swift Mile together. What was that journey like? Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a long, a long road. Colin and I have known each other since early grade school. Um, since we lived in the same neighborhood, we also went to the same middle school and then later the same high school. Uh, you know, we've been partners in crime, so to speak, uh, for our whole lives. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun being able to share all of these experiences with, you know, Colin and, and just our, our, fr- our families and our other close friends. One of the neat things about growing up together is we shared a lot of life experiences. And I think, you know, as we coalesced and came back together as a company, knowing where each other has been and what our experiences are allows us to really just kind of cut to the chase and get right to the key points of the issues. You know, there's no really ambiguity in our discussions. We relate it to things we've done together in the past and, and it just makes things a lot easier, I think. 
I would agree with it easier because you you understand the little trigger points of if something might do something and somebody goes down one leg, you know how to defuse the situation, you know how to push buttons because you've had all these years of experiences. When you're looking at this concept of Swift Mile, did it really start with Colin winning a raffle and getting an electric bike? Is that how the whole, is that the founder story? Is that out there? Is that the way it started? That's how it went down. <laughs> and I'm sticking to it. Uh, really, it um, back in, I think it was probably around 2014 or so, Colin had won an electric bike in a, in a company raffle, I think a Christmas raffle. And our families are very close and we do camping and lots of other outdoor activities together. And he would always bring his electric bike along. A lot of fun to ride, would always bring a lot of attention to us. And, and you know, I think that piqued his interest in just all of these different types of LEVs. Growing up right here in Mountain View in the heart of Silicon Valley in Palo Alto, you would see all kinds of early adopters playing with new types of light electric vehicles. And Colin started to collect all of these you know, vehicles and they're very experiential. Once you get on them, whether it's a skateboard, a scooter, a bike, really fun to ride. And and you really start looking for excuses to leave the car at home and <laughs> take the electric bike or the scooter or something. So that's been, that's been a lot of fun. And that's how it started. Uh, he started collecting all of these, thought it was a great idea, raised some seed money, bought a van to house all these vehicles and went on what we call the electric roadshow, went fr from company to company, showing uh, all the employees all of these new vehicles that were out there. The idea was that we would provide companies with racks of vehicles for employees to get around corporate campuses and in case of e-bikes to commute to work. And that was really how the whole company formed in the early days was, was around that idea that these are, A, they're very useful, they're a lot of fun to ride, and they're, they're everywhere and they're inexpensive. It's incredible how there's moments in life that changed everything. If you think about it, if he didn't win that raffle, Swift Mile could have never been founded. It was just one of those incredible things that happened in life. It d definitely. Who would have thought back then when we were going on camping trips and we were pedaling and he was cruising on his electric bike <laughs> that uh, this would turn into our uh, career. <laughs> one of those companies that you visited is actually a neighbor of yours was Google. And there's a great story there. Could you share that story with the audience? Yeah, we happen to know some folks over at Google in the transportation department. And when Colin had a van filled with all these vehicles, we asked them if they would be interested in providing these electric vehicles to their employees, just like they provide their regular pedal power bikes um, for employees to get from building to building, convenience to go out to lunch and come back. They thought it was a great idea. But what really surprised us is they invited us over to a warehouse and they had already been thinking about this and they had a warehouse filled of electric bikes pre-assembled, extra large frames all the way down to small frames and a fellow working in the corner, putting more bikes together. There were hundreds of them and they're all lined up in nice roads. And he looked at us and he said, look, we like all these electric vehicles. We like scooters. We like the self-balancing scooters, segways, all of these you know, neat things. But if you guys can figure out how we can do a program in our company to share all of these electric bikes, sign us up we'll we'll buy it and and their real challenge was every bike came with a large charging brick and it was a high value asset it's a four thousand dollar bike how are they going to share these freely like they shared their g-bikes on campus and that really was our aha moment we realized that look riding the vehicle is half of the problem half of the story the other half is is maintaining its charge and making it useful to ride everywhere all the time and how do you share them um, somebody can't 
hand a power brick off to the next person and make arrangements and have a backpack to carry it. So it really, you know, coalesced the idea around parking and charging solutions. And, you know, one of the key insights that, that they gave us was you really need to have these accessible. They need to be located where people are outside of the front doors of companies, outside of the doors, you know, of, of businesses. That's where people need to pick up a ride. If they have to walk across the parking lot to go get something or around the corner, you know, the likelihood of them using it uh, really goes down. So, you know, that struck a chord with us and we understood what they were talking about and it really kind of set us off on this journey of making a parking and charging solution for LEVs. We kind of realized that this was a necessity. Did you go away from that meeting, open up CAD and start designing with the charging infrastructure that could meet the demands and the goals of Google? Pretty much, you know, I mean, it was a very generic kind of requirement they had and, it, and it, there was nothing magical about it. It made a lot of sense. You know, we were familiar with a lot of the public bike share that was available in the Bay Area, the non-electric bike share. And, you know, some of the problems with that were it was, you know, a one-way trip. You had to park and end your ride at a charging station or, I mean, a, a, a kiosk. And, you know, that wasn't really that convenient. It was a big problem with rebalancing the systems and, and, and all of that. So we had all of that information in mind when we kind of set out to develop our system and our platform for uh, parking and charging. And it, and it really helps address some of the balance issues and everything. We work with all of the dockless companies. So, so the idea is that we just provide infrastructure, a place to find a ride and to, to end your ride. That's a really great segue to what I would like to ask you. I know a lot about Swift Mile, you know, a lot of Colin for a while, but for the listeners who might not know, could you please kindly share like a high level overview of, of Swift Mile so they can get a, um, a company to the product? You know, Swift Mile at its heart is a green transportation infrastructure company. We help unlock the value and potential of electric micromobility through our mobility hubs. Swift Mile's mobility hubs our public charging infrastructure for micromobility vehicles like e-scooters and e-bikes. That is primarily what we do. We build the infrastructure that cities need, private businesses need. We bring operational efficiencies to the whole uh, industry. And we've realized that to facilitate large-scale adoption around the world of micromobility, you need this infrastructure. You're 100% right about the infrastructure, and so you're part of this team and part of the part of the founding. Was it leveraging your incredible technical background, your technical know-how to make this a reality? Is that what role that you played in the founding that allowed the company to scale? Yeah, I mean, in the early days, as you mentioned, uh, Colin and I were tossing around these ideas. He asked me to make some racks to, to hold all these different strange vehicle types, right? <laughs> They're all very different form factors. You know, how do you hold them all? And so my early role was really just developing the technology and the product, right? What, what is it going to take to facilitate charging for all of and accommodate all the different vehicle types out there? So, you know, a lot of homework, a lot of riding vehicles and playing with them and using them and understanding what the use cases were. I mean, I think that's the first step to any really good design is understanding how the product is going to be used, how the users want to use it, what is the use case. So we did a lot of homework, right? Um, you know, it was fun homework. It was playing <laughs> and riding all different types of vehicles, and and that was cool. But uh, that that was what my role was in the early days, and and it still is today. I work on the technology and the product side. We're going to dive into the the technology later in this podcast because 
you're doing some really incredible work and we're going to highlight that and dive deep into the tech here in a minute. But Swift Mile has gone from having fun to an idea to a product and now you're a business. You're, you're generating revenue, which is really important to point out, and you're a business. How has the business model adapted and changed over the, the course of the company's life? Yeah, I mean, we started in the early days, you know, after the electric road shows, kind of doing a, an assessment of what is the most practical vehicle out there, you know, at least in the, in, in the U.S. at the time. And it seemed to us that bicycles were most likely to be adopted and adapted for commuting and things like that. So we focused early on making a, a complete e-bike rideshare system. And it was actually quite successful. It's called the Sunrider. It was a totally off-grid, solar-powered system. We took the advice from Google and we made it um, very modular. And, and we started our business around corporate e-bike commuting. And that was really good. And then as time went on, 2019, 2000, or 2017, 2018 arrived, the scooters came. And we saw that we had everything needed to really support that industry. And the whole dockless model, you know, we saw was fraught with lots of problems in terms of making a sustainable business. So we quickly adapted our product, which was making a rack that could hold the, the particular vehicles that were out there, which were the scooters. And it was an easy transition for us to start working with them. I remember uh, years and years ago, I was at, uh, at Stanford University and I got to test your electric bike with your your um, solar panel charging. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, wait a second, this whole thing's off the grid and Colin and a couple other individuals there, I'm like, okay, this is cool. And you get on the bike and you realize how much fun it is and you can go back and charge it and the next person can do it, and which was really cool. But I really respect the fact that you and the team at Swift Mile saw the future, you pivoted to scooters. And another thing that I'm really proud of the team at Swift Mile that you've done that you're starting to get credit for, but I don't think you get enough credit, so I want to shine a light on it. You're building an ad network with your system as you deploy. And to me, that's like, okay, Swift Mile is going to grow into a giant, giant corporation because they figured out a niche with this ad network. Can you talk about that, please? I mean, we've continually looked for ways that we can bring charge infrastructure to the public, to the public right away, to private locations. And as you're building the industry, and a lot of people still don't know about you know micromobility and the infrastructure requirements or anything you know we've developed lots of different business models that allow us to bring the charging hardware the newest one is the addition of an ad unit to our, our charging stations it allows us to do sell ads to post transit information public service announcements things that are beneficial to the city so the kind of the dynamic there is that we bring the station in exchange for the rights to sell ads we can do share the revenue with the city or the private property owner. So that's really opened the door to getting access to a lot of these public spaces and putting the stations where they're really needed in the public right of way. You're sharing, sharing revenue, but you're also cleaning up cities. You're eliminating clutter. You're eliminating the situation of Bob or Mary falls over and trips over a scooter and the city gets sued and that gets ugly. But more importantly, in my opinion, you're ending the juicer wars. Are you seeing any adaption as a city adapts your product and puts it that the those juicers and that mentality where we all saw the infamous photo in Venice, California, where the gentleman had hundreds of scooters and the, the police pulled him over and said, excuse me, sir, this, this is unsafe. Yeah, I mean, we definitely play a big part in removing the clutter in cities. When you put these charging stations out or micromobility hubs around, 
you now have like places where you can actually direct users to drop the scooters off. The scooters stand up in our in our parking station. They don't fall down on the ground. They're very stable there. They can also charge when they're there. By by doing this, you know, you really clean up the city. You make it a lot safer. Sidewalks are not strewn with vehicles that are discharged laying all over the place. You know, the other added benefit that's really not um, talked about is that you're able to extend the micromobility reach out into neighborhoods and places that not, might not normally be served by putting drop zones and you know mobility hubs out on the outskirts of the city or in neighborhoods that really aren't that dense with people, but yet still are trafficked by, you know, commuters and things like that. It really opens up the whole city, provides, you know, transportation equity across all neighborhoods. And, and it's a really, you know, it's, it's a benefit to the community. Not only does it clean up the streets, make them safer to walk on, it provides access to transportation where you might not normally have it uh, and, and all the other benefits that come with that. You're eliminating transit deserts. So if there's an individual or individuals that goes to an area that might not be heavily populated, leave the scooter, it's not going to have battery, but it plugs into your system. They go to go back to work the next day or to visit a friend. It changes, it changes their life. And think about the positive impact that it's having. They can get where they need to get without having to worry. How am I going to get there? It's, it's too hot to walk. You, you're having a, a positive impact on the residents of that city. Yeah, I mean, we feel that that's really important to do as well. I mean, going back, revisiting your, your previous question also about the juicers uh, and, and the issues with that and making a sustainable ecosystem for the operators. You know, we actually work with the juicers. We provide locations for them to drop off the scooters and it allows everybody to always have a charged scooter. Um, it's very easy for the operators to make use of our hubs and not have to bring the vehicles outside of the city to warehouses to charge. It reduces the traffic of the juicers in the city. And again, that 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 helps everybody it really makes for a much more sustainable ecosystem. Besides have not having to bring the scooters to the outskirts of the city also saves the operators quite a bit of money. They can keep their vehicles on the street where they're needed, available to the people that need them, and incentivize users and the juicers to just relocate the scooters when they're found discharged at a charging hub. That, that brings up two points that I like to touch on. One, what type of electric is needed for the charging of your infrastructure? Do you need a lot of electricity? Is it going to have a big drain on the energy grid? Can you dive into that? Yeah, that's the beauty of micromobility. It is so efficient. To charge a scooter entirely, or an e-bike for that matter, it's about eight or 10 cents of electricity. It's very, very efficient to do this. Our system itself only needs a single AC electrical outlet to power it. You can locate these anywhere. There is no trenching required to bring in, you know, a, a new power, you know, electrical panel. It's We can tap off virtually any source that's out there. We actually thought about this early on in the design of the system. We made our electronics capable of running off virtually any power source that's available. We can tap into street lights, we can use existing outlets, we can run off of solar, we can run off of battery power. If you have interruptible power, such as, let's say lights that only come on at night, we can charge batteries during the nighttime on that power and then power the scooters during the day. So we've really thought a long and hard about playing nicely with the grid and what would be our power sources you know, in cities and, and designed our technology to work with what was available. And when the other aspect of cities is there's Air Force bases and swift miles of deployment at Edwards Air Force Base in the Mojave Desert that's running on purely solar. 
Yeah. Was that engineered from the ground up as a special project or was that part of your core engineering? That's part of our core technology. As I mentioned earlier, our first product was the Sunrider platform, which was a solar powered e-bike system, totally off grid. So we've carried that technology forward. And fortunate for us, you can't really get much of a better location than the Mojave Desert to run a solar powered transit system. And that's exactly what we've done. The people on the base down there had great insights in terms of what they could do to help their airmen that were showing up on base get around. Edwards is, is very spread out. There is no transit system. You can't call an Uber. There are no buses. And so it's largely, you know, new, new folks on base walking around to get to where they need to go. So perfect location to put a, uh, um, a micromobility system and a perfect location to do a totally off-grid solar installation. Does your system have battery backup so when the sun goes down, is, are, you, are you storing that energy if a soldier needs to move from point A to point B, they can get on a fully charged scooter? Absolutely. In the solar installation, the solar charges batteries and the, and the system runs off of batteries. So we recharge all the scooters from stored energy in our batteries. So you're completely renew, re, renewable energy on that deployment? On that deployment, it is 100% renewable, totally off-grid, totally sun-powered transit system. It's fantastic. I mean, it works flawlessly. We never run out of energy. There's never a discharged vehicle. It's just, you know, a vehicle gets about 30, you know, 20 to 30 miles range in an environment like that. And so, you, get, you know, you don't even have to plug it in all the time. The rules on the base are that you need to end your ride where there's a station, um, and that just aims for you know aims to keep the system balanced well. And with simple rules like that, there's never been any rebalancing requirements. We've never had to go out there and charge a vehicle. It totally runs on its own. Moreover, the vehicles take a lot less beating because they're always standing up in a parking spot. They don't fall over and break on the on the ground. So we have experience operating in Germany with one partner for three months without anybody ever visiting of the system to either fix a vehicle, charge a vehicle, or any of that. So we know that by putting infield charging, whether it's off-grid or whether it's grid-tied, you know, you provide a super sustainable uh, ecosystem for micromobility. I never thought about the less wear and tear, but you're right. I'm just thinking in, in my head of dense cities and you see these things laying around. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits to to Swift Mile, and you mentioned earlier that Swift Mile works with a variety of of scooter operators and different manufacturers. Is there a standard plug for your charging system, or let's say I'm on a Lime scooter, you're on a Spin scooter, uh, Marcy's on a Bird scooter? Can we all plug into your system, or how does that work? So the goal of having universal charging infrastructure is still a long term vision. Currently, just by happenstance, most of the vehicles out there use the same charge connector. It's not a perfect connector, but but it turns out, you know, it, it does the job. And so currently, we don't have any real compatibility issues across different operators. I also do work with, with SAE, which is a standards organization, and they've recognized early on that really to avoid long delays in infrastructure build out that we really need to standardize some of the, these basics and the interconnect, the battery management system and the basic safety and packaging of the batteries 
is something that SAA is really focused on. So I think before the industry diverges and starts creating custom connectors and adapters, I think the standards committee is going to put forth some basic standards and guidelines. And, you know, I'm very optimistic that within the next next year or two, not only will the fleets be compatible with all the charge infrastructure, but the charge infrastructure will become ubiquitous throughout the world. And all of the new micromobility fleets in development will, will make use of them. Let's dive into this for a moment because you chair the SAE Micromobility Battery Standards Committee. You're doing really great stuff for business, but what you just described is great for society. SAE is a fantastic organization, and I think their goals really are first focused on safety, right? They want to make sure that this new growing industry evolves in a manner that um, you know safety is number one, which is really important. And I think there's a lot of learnings from previous committees and experiences on, you know, as the EV, the car industry has grown up. And so we aim to borrow all of those learnings and to really quickly, you know, coalesce around a set of simple guidelines that all of the different vehicle operators and manufacturers can, can get on board with. That's also unique about SAE. All of the committee members are actually industry professionals. So it's not a group of, you know, bureaucrats sitting in office deciding what the industry should do based on what they like. It's the industry saying, yeah, you know, this is good for us. We want to, we want to, you know, standardize on a connector. We want to have common infrastructure. And, and so the fact that all of the operators and all of the manufacturers are, are totally on board really is going to make it much more effective and allow us to do something impactful in the, in the near term. What does the future of charging look like? Is it going to be plug? Is it going to be an inductive standard that every scooter company will develop. So if you just you just drop it in your little slot and then away it goes, or what does that future look like? Yeah, the benefits of micromobility are it's really low power consumption and it's efficiency. So you really have to think of simplicity as as you move forward and you know evolve the industry. So you know I think some sort of uh, um, interconnect is here for a while, but micromobility is growing incredibly fast. I think the future is really bright. I see build out of infrastructure within cities. I see bike lanes and separated traffic paths for different types of different modes of transportation becoming ubiquitous in our big cities. I see adoption of large infrastructure projects to facilitate, you know, all of this. So that, that's where I see the future of micromobility going. In terms of the individual technologies, there's a lot of neat things on the horizon. You know, I think we're here with lithium ion batteries for the near term in the next five years, but they're great. They're a great high energy density source. And, you know, I don't think any of those things are going to be an impediment to the growth of, of the industry. That brings up the question that's being talked about a lot. Bird put out a paper saying no to this. Swappable batteries. Any thoughts on those? Yeah, I mean, I think swappable batteries have their place in the industry. I think in-field charging is really where it's going. I mean, think about the automobile industry. You have gas stations around town to fill up. I think that's just that's just kind of the way we do things. The vehicles have great range, so you don't have to fill them up, so to speak, after every ride. I think if they visit a charging station once a day or every other day, you can keep the fleets charged. The nice thing about infield charging is you avoid a lot of the high cost of swappable batteries and other recharging methods. The industry started with gig workers running around, collecting scooters, bringing them back to their own house or garage, charging them up and relocating them on the street. That took the vehicles off the street for half the day, you know, in the nighttime hours. 
The idea of moving towards swappable batteries, I think, allows operators to keep the vehicles on the street, but you still have to send an operate, you know, uh, an employee out there to swap the battery. You have to buy extra batteries. Even if you locate battery charging kiosks or, or caddies around town, again, it's still a big, it's, it's a big, you know, lift to try to do all that. Infield charging where you incentivize a user to plug in when they're done with their ride, it's very easy to do. Operators are already convincing riders and incentivizing riders to drop their scooter or their vehicle off at certain locations and, and leave them in, in either locked or unlocked. So they're good at incentivizing users. If they just start incentivizing users to utilize the infrastructure that's coming, I think the ecosystem remains extremely sustainable. I think the operators are able to make profit in cities. They're able to operate in places where they might normally not make profit because the margins are thin. Infield charging and infrastructure build out is really the future and swappable batteries have their place in it. But um, I think I think the whole industry moves towards you know infield charging. I agree with you on infield charging. And when I think about swappable batteries, one, they're not scalable. And two, you're going to open up a black market. These things are going to be sold all over town. They're going to be sold for scrap. And then you create a whole new problem on the economic side and the environmental side. By the infield charging, you're right. If you look at the airline industry pre-COVID, rewards programs drove a lot of that growth. Well, I can just get over this tier and then I can get double points. It'll be really interesting as you deploy Swift Mile in cities around the world and you partner with, say, Marriott or Starwood or one of these hotel brands. Okay, Keith, if you drop it off here... You will give you two points on your stay. That, all suddenly that that starts changing behavior, and, or even if it's gamified, maybe if you go to a Starbucks, you get a dollar off your frappuccino. That's and then you get into that behavior. Oh, I, I want to get this. Okay, Apple does it brilliantly with Apple Fitness, where they create this thing to incentivize you. Okay, get up. You haven't taken your ten thousand steps today, and so you're a hundred and ten percent right on in, on infield charging. That's right. I mean, there's been a lot of examples of companies that have gamified, you know, the in order to maintain balance in their system and things like that. And it works. People are very responsive to it, you know, some more than others, but but it gets the job done. And I think playing around a little bit and understanding, you know, what incentivizes a user to do different different things. I think the ecosystem can really, you know, be sustainable. Looking into the future of the ecosystem, what new form factors do you see coming online that consumers will adopt and will Swift Mile be able to charge those new form factors? Wow. So the sky's the limit on that. <laughs> you know, I, I live in between a, a lot of buildings uh, from Google and other big tech companies, and it amazes me every day, you know, what I see people riding. <laughs> Everything from the one-wheeled vehicles to... You know, I saw a guy the other day uh, um, with a one-wheel vehicle with a lawn chair on. That's cool. <laughs> and it actually looked like a really comfortable ride, you know, he's zipping down the street. I can't even stretch my imagination to think of what strange vehicles. You know, when I think about what's practical, though, I think the two-wheel scooter, kick scooter, and the e-bike and a regular bicycle are very practical for, for people to not only carry cargo on, but to, uh, you know, get in and out of tight spaces real quick. So... Swift Mile will be there to charge anything that comes out that falls into this uh, light electric vehicle category. Cargo is interesting because the the exponential growth of e-commerce, and there's no sign of that slowing down because the consumer habits changed. Oh, I need a light bulb? Okay, I can have it in my house in an hour. That's right. Like that's That, that cat's not going back in the bag. And 
you have all these new technology trends. You're based in Mountain View, California, surrounded by Google and all these great companies. But I want to emphasize something. You give back. You mentor as part of Startup Weekend at a local middle school. Why is that important to you to to give back and to share your, your knowledge and expertise with these up-and-coming children that can go on to change the world? Well, yeah. I mean, ever since I've been a child, I've just been super curious. I love technology. I love new things. I love science and engineering. Uh, my wife actually got me into this. Uh, local our, our local middle school runs a program called Startup Weekend, where they invite students from all over the uh, San Francisco Bay Area to come uh, for a three-day weekend to do to form mock companies. So they form groups, they present ideas. You know, I participate as a mentor and teach how to put together a business plan, a simple marketing plan, a go-to-market strategy. And these kids are really receptive to it. They get it. I mean, they've been marketed to since the day they were born. They grew up with phones and iPads. <laughs> and, and so they get this whole idea. You know, everybody's seen the show Shark Tank right and the idea of a pitch contest so they come into this weekend knowing that at the end of the weekend they're gonna to have to pitch their ideas to a panel of ju judges so we help them make prototypes we you know coach them on on the different you know how to how to work together you know how to delegate some you know you only have three days so not everybody can do everything you have to delegate and some people have to work on the on the business plan and the pitch deck some people have to build the prototype so I think it really helps them to see, you know, where their schooling actually plays a role in their future career. You're giving them the tools they need to succeed. And a huge thank you to your wife, Mrs. Morvick, for the dedication of doing this for children. And Keith, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them about micromobility and Swift Mile in general? Micromobility is here to stay for sure. It's a, a rapidly growing market. The big thing that we all have to understand is that if cities are really serious about making sustainable ecosystems, they have to put the investment into infrastructure. A lot of places around the world have done this out of necessity over the years. And I think it's time that we you know, reevaluate our needs in our city spaces and make the investment in infrastructure, make bike lanes, separate traffic, putting charge infrastructure, putting parking infrastructure. So planning for the future is really what the message I'd like to get out to the cities. Now, in terms of Swift Mile, Swift Mile's in it for the long haul. You know, we, we make infrastructure for to power micromobility. So we're working to educate cities on what they need to do to get this infrastructure in place. And we're working with all the operators and everything to show them how to make a sustainable business where, you know, you, they can increase their margins and actually have a profitable business that'll be around for the long term. So look in your local cities for micromobility options, try them. And, and I think you'll learn that there's a place for micromobility in virtually everybody's life these days. You're hundred percent correct, Keith. And as we've heard on this podcast, micromobility infrastructure is the future and Swift Mile will be there powering the future. Keith, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast and sharing your wonderful insights with us. Thank you, Grayson, for having me. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Tune in next week to hear a wonderful conversation with Aaron Jefferson, Vice President of Product at Luminar, where we will discuss how their LiDAR technology is enabling a new groundbreaking partnership with Volvo. 
And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. 